you can enhance that feeling through the copy itself as well. So midway through the form, tell the person, okay, you're about halfway through. And as you're coming towards the end, you might use words like, and finally, or just to finish up, things like that. And it really does help give that feeling of progress. This is Writers in Tech, a podcast where today's top content strategists, UX writers, and content designers share their well-kept industry secrets. The last visit to Barcelona, I met Steve Howe, which is the lead copywriter of Typeform, which is an amazing product that competes with Google Forms, actually, but they're doing a fantastic job. I actually use their product and the, the pro version of their product. And that was the third time we're doing this recording because I had different kinds of technical issues, but we figured it out eventually. Steve is an amazing guy and a friend. We've talked about his process and how is it to be a UX writer and a copywriter for Typeform. So that's about it. Enjoy the episode. Don't forget to follow us on uxwritinghub.com and join our newsletter. Enjoy. Hey, Steve, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. Yeah. I just noticed that you are going to speak in CopyConf in London in a few months. Correct. Yes. Cool. What are you going to talk about? So I'm going to do a breakout session. The title of the session is How Conversational Copy Got Awkward. And really the main kind of thing I'm going to be talking about is almost like the rise of what I guess is best known as conversational copy. But I want to make a distinction between what really is conversational. What are we talking about when we say conversation? And when we talk about sort of writing online specifically that is conversational. Um, I make a distinction between that and copy that often kind of goes into more chatty, more familiar territory, which can sometimes actually get in the way of good UX and get in the way of a kind of pleasurable experience for the user. And I'll be going through sort of quite a few examples of this. I hope I can sort of help people to kind of understand, as we've understood at Typeform, because we had some help with this, what are the mechanics of conversation and how can we apply it to copy so that it's helpful for the user rather than something that may even offend people sometimes. Right. Last time we've talked, you told me about uh, a consultant that came to your organization and she is expert with conversation and psychological aspects of conversation. Can you tell me more about it? Yeah, that's right. So her name is uh, Elizabeth Stokoe. She's a professor from the University of Loughborough in England. And yeah, her body of work consists of essentially like analyzing conversations and, and uh, what is conversation. She's done some really interesting work. For example, she's um, worked with the police when they're kind of negotiating with people in difficult situations and the way in which they talk to, to people to try and calm them down. She's worked with businesses as well. And just kind of analyzed phone calls where businesses are trying to sales calls for example and basically come back to them and said look this is this is what you're doing okay and this is this is what you're doing wrong like and there's some really interesting stuff in there like for example something she taught us I'll, I'll never forget is if you say do you have any questions that's more likely to not get a response than if you say do you have some questions? So there's just a one word difference there between any 
and some. But mm-hmm. if you if you ask that question with some, you're more likely to elicit a response. So she's got loads of kind of insights like this. And the reason we got her to Typeform is because we've all we've always talked about being conversational. With Typeform, you you can create forms. If you don't know, you can create forms and surveys um, online. And we like to say that yeah, they feel a, a lot more like a conversation. But we we asked ourselves. Are we really being conversational? You know, what is and what is conversation? You know, do we actually understand what a conversation is? So that's why we brought her in. Um, and some of the insights that, that we got from Liz and some of the work we produced with her, I'm going to be presenting at a copy conference. Yeah, that's cool. There is a company in Israel named Gong.io. And they have this AI algorithm that take hours or thousands of hours of sales calls recording. Mm-hmm. And uh, then analyze like what went wrong or what can be improved, and how to improve telemarketing sales calls. And I think they raised like four hundred million dollars. So I guess they they have some kind of technology that is is working. But I I didn't have the chance to do it. And it's funny like AI will one day be uh, that person that say like what is more conversational than the other. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That that's interesting because I mean, Liz is is kind of interested in. I mean, her, some of her work has moved into technology as well, and and kind of looking at different channels and how essentially conversation is changing because of technology, right? And one thing she also kind of said to us was that with a lot of things, like if you're writing copy for a landing page, for example that copy is static, like it can't change. There's no way for it to react to how the recipient is kind of processing that information. Whereas in a conversation, I can, you know, I'm talking to you now, I can see you, I can see your gestures, I can see how you're reacting to, to things I'm saying, so I can adapt myself. But copy online and static web page can't change. So there's lots of interesting kind of ways to adapt this thinking when you, when you apply it to different, different technologies. And, and AI was, I think, definitely one of the things that academics like Liz will start to, to work with in, in order to allow conversation to be more effective, essentially. Yes, like uh, having these forms or static pages that the way that you interact, that's cool. Let's say that we are creating right now a form. So give the listeners a tip if they want to create a conversational form. Like a few, few tips that you have uh, as a writer for Typeform. Yeah, so I mean, we, we actually analyzed some of our own templates when, we, when Liz was here and uh, we, we learned that we were doing a lot of stuff wrong. <laughs> I mean, one example is, I think people tend to put too much information into forms sometimes. So I don't know, like imagine, imagine a sort of your, your standard kind of questionnaire or feedback form to improve your product or service. You might say, hey, thanks for taking the time to fill out this form. This questionnaire will consist of 20 questions and it'll take you 10 minutes and it's really going to help us to improve our products before you start, blah, 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 blah. Really, you just need to cut it down to the essentials. So what we ended up cutting our templates down to on the, on the front page um, of the type form was, thank you, how long it's going to take you so you have some expectation and what the benefit is for you, if there is a benefit, if there's a, some sort of offer in there, if you're going to sort of win something. Yeah, the important thing on the front page is to just cut, cut it down to the only the essential information and give the person taking the form a reason to take it, right? And that can mm-hmm. just be as, as, as much as it's really going to help improve, uh, improve things for you or what's in it for the person taking it. Some of the other things were also related to too much information. So also in type form, you can kind of have a question and then underneath the question, a sort of description. So what we found ourselves doing quite a lot was sort of asking a question and then asking another question 
within the same screen. So it'll be something like, on a scale of one to 10, how much do you rate the support service that you received? And then underneath, we'd say something like, consider every part of it from start to finish. And we just add extra information. So really, the key was just stick to one question. Mm-hmm. That sounds very simple, but the habit was to kind of put more information than, than was necessary. In terms of then continuing the kind of flow of the form, what's natural in conversation when we're asking questions is to add small little words to the start of the sentence just to signify that it's a continuation. So I will say to you, if you go into a vet, for example, because your cat's sick, I'll say, okay, what kind of pet do you have? You give me the answer. And then I'll say, so how old is she? And this and is, again, very subtle thing. But if you add it into a form, it gives the feeling of the conversation. So in your second question, for example, you could say, okay, so what's your name? And what's your email? And would you mind telling us a little bit about why you're here? So these are small little filler words that you can just add at the start of the sentence that that help uh, give the feeling of, of the conversation. That's awesome. And also when it comes with some kind of a progress tracker, the type from uh, have by default, but in case you're creating different kinds of forms in your website, so I really recommend to make it as some kind of a continuous flow because uh, our mind kind of, there is some kind of a sense of we want to finish something that we started in the progress tracker and the fact that you know that you're in the middle of a process, so it helps the users to to engage more. Yeah, that's that's a really important point actually, and uh, something that, that Liz also told us. Uh, Typeforms like have a progress tracker at the bottom, but you can enhance that feeling through the copy itself as well. So midway through the form, tell the person, okay, you're about halfway through, and as you're coming towards the end, you might use words like and finally or just to finish up, things like that. And it really does help give that feeling of progress, yeah. That's really cool. Let's talk a little bit about the type of forms. Let's say now we have a website, and in our website we have, uh, there is feedback type forms, but there is also uh, sign-up forms or onboarding forms and different kinds of forms. My question is, do you have tips for different kinds of scenarios or different kinds of flows, different kinds of forms? and the way that we should uh, address uh, writing them? I'm not sure I'd necessarily change my approach. I think there are different things you would do, obviously. I would say my approach would change more, rather than the type of form, more to do with the kind of type of information that you're asking for. So one thing might be how sensitive is is the information you're asking for. And I'm not sure if this is going to answer your question or sort of go off on a tangent, but one other thing we've been trying to be more conscious about doing is when you're asking for sensitive information, I mean, even email address can be sensitive for some people, right? Like people can be fairly protective about their email address. And in those cases, you don't just want to launch in and say straight away, like, what's your email address? If you have a lead generation form and you're trying to grow your mailing list, for example, what we would advise is that you build the rapport first and then ask the email for the end. So give value before you actually ask for something in return. And that's something that we've seen our users do really successfully. So we have one guy called Cam. And when he was young, he was addicted to video games. And he... What a great addiction. Yeah. I'm not making anything on people's addiction. I know it's a serious thing. But uh, yeah, yeah. If being addicted to something, so be addicted to a video game, maybe. He's also learned a lot from video games as well. Like he's, you know, he still loves he still loves video games. Mm-hmm. 
but it got to the point where, it, it, yeah, it, it kind of, as, as with any addiction, kind of blocked things he was doing in his life. So he dropped mm-hmm. out of school. He was pretending to work. His parents would drop him off at his job. Mm-hmm. And then he would pretend to walk towards the restaurant where he worked, just turned around, went back home, climbed through his bedroom window and played more video games. So it was really blocking his day-to-day life. And he broke free of that addiction. And now he helps people who are addicted to video games. Um, He needs needs to sort of reach more people because he knows knows it's a big problem and an increasing problem as well. Also recognized by various bodies around the the world, like the EU, I think now recently just included it as as a sort of actual illness. But anyway, he needs to reach a lot of people and he found it very effective. Way to do that was to offer a quiz so people land on his website he uses a type form it's i think 10 or 12 questions and it just the title of the quiz is are you addicted to video games or something like that and it mm-hmm. basically just segments you yes or no at the end um, and he can follow up in a relevant way if, if he wants to um, afterwards um, my point being that through that quiz he's offering something of value right he's 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 saying to parents of people who are addicted to video games and those who are addicted, he's saying, look, find out more information. I'm going to give you all the information you need. At the end of it, I'm going to ask for for your email address and I can give you more resources and we can start a conversation that that might last a longer time. And through doing that, I think he's found that that's more effective than just going in and saying, right, give me your email address. I want to build my mail, mailing list. In terms of into detail about the copy as well, when you're asking for sensitive information, there are ways to do that. In, in real life, we preface things with it by saying, would you mind if, would you be willing, and we found that's quite an, an effective phrase as well, would you be willing to talk to us more? And this is something that Liz taught us as well, that if you start the phrase with, would you be willing, you're more likely to get a positive response as well. Cool. The fact that type form is a great lead generation form, like the opportunities, if you know how to use it, can be quite limitless. And it's super smart to build your list. First of all, give value using some kind of questionnaire, like a type form, and then ask for the email. And then your list is going to be so much more like, accurate. Yeah, I guess what we feel is that your audience is going to be more engaged. Essentially, like if you do a if you do a quiz, if you do something that's like you know very relatable to them, people enjoy it. Then people are going to want more of it, and you're kind of starting off on the, on the right foot. Yeah. Yes, and also we're just writing right now a, a piece for our course that uh, is all about writing onboarding processes mm-hmm. and how in the future. And we don't see uh, too much of it today, but in the future we could create like based on the data that we receive from those forms in the onboarding, so much more like telemade experiences based on what they answered. We're just in the tip of the iceberg right now, as I said. Yeah, yeah. So I want to ask you also a little bit about your process. I know that you are writing like the emails. There was this really great email, I recall, that you wrote in very like, conversational way, the terms and, and services. And I want to know a little bit about your process and about your responsibilities as a writer in the team of uh, Typhoon. Sure. Just to give a very quick background, I joined as a generalist copywriter. So I was writing like anything and everything from landing pages to emails to job postings to all the coffee machines broken. We need a nice on-brand message to put in the office to tell everyone that the coffee machine is broken. And that was really fun because I got a really like a wide experience of everything. And then we started to realize like, oh, hang on, like who's looking at the words 
in the press um, and the answer was nobody and everybody like there'd be sort of developers putting copy in UX designers putting copy in maybe some product owners maybe a native English speaker from another department would be asked to like just quickly revise the stuff before we like roll out a new feature and that's how I got involved in the products we started saying, okay, it might be nice to have a, a more consistent voice throughout the, the whole product. In fact, I've been specializing in product copywriting. I still do some emails as well, as you say, and I'm still within the marketing team, actually. So I'm, I still get involved in other bits of copy where, where needed. And that, let's say about your process, for example, there is so many different responsibilities, like being in the marketing team, but also being in the product team. So how does a day look like for you? Do you have more writers in your team? Yeah, so actually, around four months ago, we actually formed a content team. So we didn't have that before. Before we had a copy team, which was essentially just me and one other person. And then we had like a couple of other writers, someone who worked on the blog, someone who worked on SEO and landing pages. And we kind of decided actually, you know, there's the same discipline here. Why don't we come together so that we can kind of tackle bigger projects together? and kind of work a little bit more effectively. So now we have what we call a content team, which means that we like to think of ourselves as sort of like specialist generalists. So we, we have our area of expertise, but that should never mean that we're kind of siloed in any way to one thing in particular, which is nice because there are two benefits that we've seen to that. One is that we're constantly talking about our kind of tone of voice and we're constantly seeing examples of different channels in which we're working and the kind of stuff we're putting out in those channels. So because we're all seeing those at the same time and we're asking for feedback as well, we do very regular feedback sessions and on a Tuesday, we're almost kind of using that as a way to stay consistent with what we're doing. And then the other benefit is that you also bring insights from one area into another. So the mm -hmm. fact that I'm kind of in the marketing team and that I mainly write for the products means that sometimes things come up in the product. For example, how did these users actually get here? Like when we're showing them this onboarding flow in the product, actually like what's been the user's experience like up until now, which is maybe something quite simple, but it does get overlooked sometimes, especially if you're kind of just working on one area in the products and really focusing in and vice versa as well. You know, I can take insights from the products and feed them back into the marketing team who we all need to be experts in what we're selling, right? So that's also a kind of benefit, yeah. Right, and I also really enjoyed your last article. And the name was The Rise of Microcopy Typeform, I believe, right? Correct, yeah. Yes. And uh, I really enjoyed that one. And I love how companies like document and talk about their processes and what they do and then share it with the world. I think it's super valuable for the world, but also for the company. Yeah, I think we found it. We wanted to share that because we know that we've still got a long way to go. Like we're still far from perfect. And we kind of wanted to show kind of where we've made improvements and where we've kind of fallen over as well with some things. But yeah, like it was really interesting time for me when we first started looking at the words and the products because, you know, we found that it was, I think the analogy I used in the article, it's like going into your attic and then just like, you think it's going to be a quick job to organize some stuff and then you move some boxes around and then you realize there's like, seven more boxes behind that <laughs> box and it's just a complete mess and you're kind of trying to <laughs> you're just trying to figure out how to organize it all so that was definitely the feeling when we first started looking at it yeah great so is it that you have a meeting with the content team every tuesday let's say that you need to create a new 
Fisher, with the designer. So how will, mm-hmm. is your communication is going to look like? The communication with the rest of the team, with the designer, which tools would you use? Yeah, so my work with the product design team, what I will do is we have a sort of product design meeting once a week, which I will attend and designers will sort of present what they're working on. And that just kind of helps me to understand what's on the radar, basically, like what's coming up. And often that's useful because, and this is an example of something we're seeing more and more of now is as we build new features, naming becomes important. So Actually, I'm now spending more time on less words, which is super weird for me because, <laughs> because my background is long form writing where I'm kind of writing 3,000, 4,000 word articles. And now I'm kind of spending weeks of meetings talking about like one word, what to call this new feature, which is also really, really interesting because that's when we get to start working with users. Um, seeing how people perceive different words and what your expectation is from seeing one particular word, that's really fascinating. And one example of something we did was we looked at, and this is in the article as well, but we looked at a feature that we had called variables and it was also called piping confusingly. We had two names for the same feature (laughs) and we listened to, well, we watched videos of users trying to kind of complete tasks using this feature and something a user said we thought sounded really nice and very human and very natural. So we actually took that, put that into the new tests and that performed really well. So we actually ended up from working with product designers and creating tests where we could see users actually trying to complete tasks. We got our new name for our feature, which was really nice. And that's something we'd love to do more of. So beyond the kind of alignment meetings that I take part in, it's, you know, we try to meet face to face as much as possible. I do have a kind of system in place for like receiving copy requests using a Thai form, of course, that goes into a Trello board. But normally, the integration normally part just... of type form is just my favorite part. <laughs> goes into Trello, goes into Slack. Goes... Slack is still better, but it goes into Slack, goes into Google Sheets. It's great. Love it. Yeah, yeah. We like we're trying to improve those integrations as well. But uh, yeah, like for me, it's a, it's a nice workflow to have. And I'll get pinged when a designer has something new to tell me about. I'll get a message in Slack and a card in Trello. Mm-hmm. And then we'll just meet face-to-face. Like there's, I've found no better way to kind of really understand a design or a new concept than meeting with a designer. And that has the added benefit as well of also a writer or someone who thinks about content getting involved earlier has the benefit of kind of shaping the design as well, which can help, you know, copy influences design and design influences copy. Right. So that's also something we've been trying to do more and more of really. It's me being involved earlier on in the process, which previously I didn't really have time to do. Yeah, I hope that answers your question about sort of process. I don't know if there's anything I've missed. In terms of kind of working in tools, we use Figma or the designers uh, use Figma. Sometimes they prefer that I change the copy directly in Figma. Sometimes they prefer that I make comments. Sometimes I prefer to create just the Google Doc so I can explore different options. I still really haven't found a better solution than just getting everything into a document and then uh, kind of going nuts, like just coming up with lots of different variations of the same thing. And then that means what other people can come in and say, oh, actually, I prefer this direction to this direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, a friend of mine, it's going to be in another episode, so I wouldn't spoil, but she's taking the Figma file and you have pages in the left side, right? Yeah. Pages. 
So yeah. she duplicate a page and she call it her playground. And then she mess around and do like all the crazy stuff in her playground. And then they keep the process in Figma. But Google Docs has its own benefit when you more, uh, I don't know, text heavy or when you want to work with uh, some kind of a typing tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really nice idea, the playground. I've, I've done something similar. I've duplicated the page, but your friend sounds like they've done much more of a kind of just done loads of different exploration in the playground uh, page, which is definitely something I'm going to try. I'm going to steal cool. that. <laughs> Do that, please. I love the fact that you said that you were talking with the, your users and the users give you different ideas for name for features, for example. I believe the name is path right now. Right now, my variables are path, or I'm completely wrong. Yeah, it's a different feature. So there's logic jumps, which is like uh, your mm. question branching. So if you want to, I don't know, if the question is, do you like cats or dogs? And the answer is dogs. Then all of the subsequent questions can be related to dogs. You don't have to show any irrelevant questions. And that's logic jumps. So you kind of jump depending on the response. Yeah. Great. So do you have another way that you are speaking with your users, like reaching them personally, talking with them. You said that you're looking on recordings, but is there something mm-hmm. more related to copy and content that you focus on when speaking with users? Yeah, so, I mean, something we've been doing for uh, another project we're working on is actually kind of calling up some of our customers and then showing them early designs, actually, and, and just taking them through the prototype and just trying to not bias their answers just trying to ask them for their their thoughts and reactions, just talk through the, the page essentially and what they see and what they expect to see if they click on things. And that's normally a very good way as well because when we're testing with the with the videos, that's usertesting.com, user of course you can kind of segment who you want to see, but it's it's not always your users. So there are different purposes there. I think sometimes you're, you're looking to get some feedback from users who have never seen Typeform, people who have never even built an online form before, or our current customers who, who are kind of maybe used to the interface, but we're introducing a new concept. We really would like to sort of test um, all those different scenarios. And yeah, you certainly get different insights from, from all three of those things. And I guess the other point on that is the question we're asking now is, who do we then build for? You know, who do we then write for? Because imagine you're writing, you're coming up with a name for a new feature. You could look at the industry standard and then collect, uh, you know, and it might be really obvious because there might already be a very established name that means that people can easily access that sort of idea. So I don't know, an example, maybe not everyone knows about like meta descriptions, the, the small pieces of the text that appear in Google when under your search results. But yeah, changing the meta description, for example, okay, we don't need to come up with a new name for meta description. It's already mm-hmm. industry standard. But then sometimes it's a bit harder to establish that. So yeah, there's a new feature. Not everyone has it. We, for example, currently we have a kind of way to turn type forms into a chat bot. But do we call it a chat bot? The different elements within the, the chat, is it a chat window? Is it a chat button? Is it even a chat thing at all? These are kind of questions we're wrestling with. Like, do we, as a company, do you, do you set out your own terminology and introduce people to your world and kind of educate people? No, like in our world, this is how we talk about these things. Or do you just go and access like the world that everyone already knows and understands? I guess like an example of, of maybe sort of other companies that kind of 
come up with their own concepts and, and labels. Um, Airtable, they, when they launched their, um, I, I guess it's, it's almost like integration directory slash template slash use cases. They have the Airtable universe, which is a kind of really cool, I think a kind of really nice concept. But that's very different from calling it like, you know, use cases or app directory or inspiration, which everyone else is using. So I guess they had some sort of educating to do there when it came to like, what is the Airtable universe, right? Right. Yeah. Like my, <laughs> uh, my friends, they have a startup named uh, Zest. It's like a, an education platform for marketeers and it's based yeah. on the community, like a community that suggests different kind of articles mm-hmm. uh, and then like an AI algorithm that pick the best uh, articles and uh, they call their community the tribe. It's interesting. I love the... Yeah. These interesting terminologies. Yeah, I think like you, you kind of sacrifice immediate understanding for maybe a closer connection later on, right? Like if you kind of once you're in and once you once you sort of understand what we're talking about when we're talking about the tribe, you maybe feel more of a part of it and you feel a stronger connection with the brand. I think that in in our heads now, there's this scale between like okay, like brand or more evocative language, branded language, if you want to kind of put it in that way, versus kind of functional, universally understood language. And we're still figuring out, like, where do we land, especially as we're sort of still growing and, and not everyone knows about Typeform as well. Right. And this is exactly what makes Airtable, for example, different than Google Sheets. Google Sheets yeah. wouldn't have a universe of templates, for sure. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, it means that you're a brand of a character and People these days feel much more connected to brands with uh, presence. Right. Cool. Yeah, I love the fact that you, like you said, that you're going to have some kind of a chatbot feature in uh, Typeform. Is it something that you can uh, talk about? Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, we we just kind of, in fact, it's it's out. You can use it. You can use it now um, mm-hmm. in the kind of share area of Typeform. So it started with a blog article, actually, a piece of content which was written by Paul, who's uh, one of our writers, and it was a an article that kind of brought up sort of conversation topics as you as you read through it, and we got a really good response to it. Um, it was actually a kind of collaborative effort, not just with um, marketing, but also obviously it needed a lot of technical um, input. So it was a it was a kind of big big piece that we did, and people really liked it. And they actually asked us like, okay, how can I get this feature? Like, do you have this feature? And the answer was no, we didn't have this feature. We just custom built it for for the article. But what we did was kind of kept all those people, you know, anyone who was interested and wanted to give us their email address, we kept those contact details, and. Over time, eventually, we we sort of started experimenting. We built kind of a very basic feature to turn your Typeform into more of a chatbot-like interface. And now we've kind of put more time and effort into it and, and actually released it. So the idea being the way that people perceive forms is changing. You know, form isn't, this will be increasingly so into the future. Form isn't going to be what we used to picture when we pictured a form. It's a big sheet with lots of fields and intimidating looking amount of questions mm-hmm. um, we're seeing more and more that a, a form is is simply a way to to collect information so 
now what we're thinking is, and, and I, I think uh, a lot of other companies moving into this space are thinking, Drift, for example, who talk about conversational a lot. What we're thinking is kind of how can we, how can we kind of provide our customers and users with other ways to essentially collect information. And so, yeah, that's, that's why this feature is out there. It's called Conversations, the feature. Um, mm-hmm if you want to look for it in the products. And yeah, at the moment, we're just, we're just trying to, to see how, um, how people are using it, if they're getting value from it, and what can we do to sort of improve, improve the feature essentially for those people. Yeah. That's very cool. I'm going to check it out. Uh, what's the name of the article that Paul created that we added to the show notes? The name of the article is called Technology Imitates Art. <laughs> nice. Good. Yeah. I'll see you now. Great. So, uh, Steve, thank you so much for uh, being here today. And if people want to reach out to you, uh, what would be the best way to do that? The best way, I mean, people can follow me on, on Medium. So at the moment, we've uh, we just started a Writers at Typeform Medium publication nice. where we hope to kind of add stuff as we go. So, yeah, people can kind of follow me and message me via, via Medium or LinkedIn, Stephen Howe. Cool. Thank you, Stephen Howe. It was great to have you here today. Looking forward to our next conversation. And uh, this one is going to be published, but uh, for a change. But maybe one year, two years from now, we're going to have uh, another talk and see what's the status of reforms in the future. Nice. Looking forward to it. Thank you very much, Yuval. Thank you, Steve. Cheers. All right, so that was another episode of Writers in Tech. I hope you had fun and learned tons of new things. So currently, we are releasing two episodes of Writers in Tech every month. We have also a weird break on the Jewish holidays, but we try to release two episodes every month. Now, our goal at the moment is to release a single episode every week. Like we have a weekly newsletter, newxwritinghub.com. With every newsletter that we send, we also want to send an episode of the podcast. But creating a podcast is not a cheap thing and we don't have sponsors so we need your help to reach 100,000 listeners and by the way we are already on our way there okay we're not that far away from there so in order to do it we need you to take a few actions okay you can share this episode on social media like twitter linkedin facebook group facebook page slack channel instagram tiktok tumblr anything okay so just share it you can also write a review and rate us on Apple Podcast because I heard it brings a lot of traction. Also, and this is my favorite one, you can send me personally feedback, yuval at uxwritinghub.com about our content, about the episode, how was it for you, what we can improve. And the content will improve based on your feedback and then naturally more people will come. That's what UX is all about, right? That's it for now. Feel free to listen to another episode. Follow our weekly newsletter uxreadinghub.com and see you next time.